All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, so today we've got Justin Dobbs with us. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing just fine. So recently I, I traveled internationally. I was actually in uh, Egypt and Jordan, um, two countries that are, are primarily Muslim. Uh, and yeah, I was excited to be there. Uh, it was work that was taking me there. And I was interacting with a lot of people about the Bible story. I was actually there to uh, help with a, uh, a project teaching the gospel. So uh, it made for some interesting opportunities, converse with a lot of different people uh, about beliefs in Jesus and about the Exodus story specifically. So it's a Christian who's in a Muslim country talking about a Jewish story. So it's really interesting. Uh, some of the uh, conversations, though, there was one particular conversation. Um, we'll talk about two of those briefly. Is there was a a man that I met um, who was an atheistic Jew, kind of atheistic agnostic Jew, and he got to talking about religion as though it's it's more uh, kind of a um, a technology. He described it as a technology, which is interesting. Uh, sort of like a smartphone that helps you go about your daily tasks. You know, you make notes to yourself, you keep a calendar. And so it's sort of this technique that you use to uh, help you manage your emotions and your expectations in life, the relationships. And so religion is just one of those things that people use. Uh, people who meditate, he said, get the same benefits as people who pray. And so to him, uh, Christianity, Judaism, it's all about adapting a story that helps you to make sense of your life. And so your story may be just as good as somebody else's story. So to him, uh, all religions were more or less uh, obsolete. Uh, they were uh, interchangeable with any other religion. So that was, that was one conversation. The other conversation I had uh, was with a lady who I understood to be Muslim. And then we walked into this Greek Orthodox church um, there was a, a mosaic we were looking at, and she said, I'll be right back and we'll go light some candles. And I just thought, well, that's, that's really odd. And she's going to light candles. Um, she's Muslim. But I don't understand. So later I asked her about it and she, she explained, well, you know, I, I pray for my family. You know, I'm, I'm happy to, to light candles for whoever you should go light some candles. You've got a family. And I'd talked to her before. Uh, she knew about my wife and my kids. And I said, well, I, I don't, light candles and she said well i just i pick up what's helpful here i mean i'm muslim but i, I pick up what's helpful here and here and here and here and, and she sort of saw all religions as more or less a, kind of like a spiritual buffet that you could take what was helpful and understandable for you and reject the rest you know if you like brussels sprouts take the brussels sprouts if you don't like the brussels sprouts go for the bacon or whatever it's just it's just fine um and so it, you know i had obviously continued conversations with these people. I think I was just mostly surprised by finding such a progressive kind of postmodern, what I think of as a Western civilization point of view in a primarily Muslim, more traditional conservative country. And uh, I, I think that idea is just more and more prominent the world over. And it's an idea that I run into a lot here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So I just, I thought it'd be helpful to kind of talk through how would you have a conversation with someone who had, because these are actually really similar views, even though both people, one rejects all religion, one accepts all religion, but it's really both 
really similar is I have a view on life that's as equally valued as any other view. All views are pretty much the same. Uh, so I don't know, how would you start to have a conversation with somebody like that? That's a good question. I'm not gonna try to answer it right now because I, I don't have a good answer formulated, but I wanna make an observation or two about some of the reasons why I think this is so prominent now. So number one, uh, we live in an increasingly secular world. Um, going back to Darwin and then through the 1900s and the universities and everything, the there's a scientific presentation that words us kind of a cosmic accident, but people traditionally have religions. And so anybody whose religion is more cultural, traditional, family, and here's, you know, kind of kind of like comfort food. You, you might retain some of that without necessarily believing it's all true or it matters. So uh, if you've got like a devout Muslim or a really militant devout Catholic, they view things very, very different than a lot of other Muslims or a lot of other Catholics. And if you believe that Jesus, if you have a nominal belief in Jesus, but it's, you know, you show up to church every once in a while and say grace at big family gatherings like Thanksgiving, but you, it doesn't really mean that much to you. It's easy for it all to become peripheral and, you know, celebrate it like we do holidays. Yeah, it's, I think part of what you're describing is um, this, this interplay between values and facts yes. is we, we have the, the value system of a culture, of a religion, of my family. Uh, I like Thanksgiving, even if I don't believe in a God to thank. Right. Uh, I like, you know, the fact that we get together for a Seder meal at Passover, even if I don't believe that God actually delivered a Jewish people from a historical Egypt. Right. Um, you know, I, I uh, celebrate Christmas every year with my family, not because I believe it's Jesus' birthday or that I believe in Santa Claus. I just happen to like getting presents. <laughs> so, you know, is, it, <laughs> is that the same thing? And so you kind of lay all those out there and it seems like, well, yeah, that's just, that's just nice. But should, should values have any root in facts? Uh, and what if your values contradict somebody else's values? Um, you know, take, take extremes like uh, abortion or euthanasia. Um, who's to say that those are not valid value systems uh, unless we can talk about the facts that kind of undergird that we have to have some kind of facts. Now these people I'm talking with say, you know, the fact is we just want to be happy. But you start going down that hole and who gets to define what happy is? Who gets to define what, what is good? Um, and that's, that's where I run into trouble with these conversations is, is who are you to decide what is ultimately good? And one more comment on where it comes from, I think, before, and then we'll be getting into solutions and how to approach it. Um, I think a lot of religions, people are not looking for responsibility before a creator 
and accountability or, or redemption in a day of judgment, people are looking for something that make them feel good. What right. can they get out of it? And you look at a lot of, you look at the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, uh, Joel Osteen type stuff. You know, the emphasis in a lot of evangelical churches is about you. What do you get? Uh, I remember somebody left a mega church and they said, all the songs were about us. Instead yeah. of about God, it was about us. And when you turn church into, you know, you know, just a populist or self-help thing uh, or, or make you feel better, then it's, it's all about, hey, do you want the Brussels sprouts or do you want to go for the sweet and sour chicken? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's, it, it is very human oriented. Um, I think the tricky thing comes about when we start trying to define what it means to be human. Um, and, you know, I was reading something recently uh, about evolution and the, the evolutionary biologist made the claim, we are fishes. We are what? We are fishes, like we are fish. Um, and that's, that's about as honest as it gets. <laughs> uh, that, that if you're really going to take this all the way down, uh, it's not that I came from fish, it's that we came from a common ancestor. And so why, why am I so special and different and distinct and I get to determine what it means to be a good human when fish don't ever think about it. I mean, I assume fish I and mean, rocks certainly don't ever think about what it means to be a good rock. Um, and we, we never stand in judgment of a tree being a good tree or a bad tree. It's just a convenient tree or an inconvenient tree. Uh, and so humans, though, like we expect humans to behave a certain way. A human ought to have a certain kind of life, but then we don't. And, and that's, that's kind of the, the troubling thing is humans are markedly different than anything else in creation. And we have to stop and answer the question, why? Now, the Bible makes a claim that it's because we're made the image of the creator. Uh, I don't know of any other fact system that allows for that kind of valuation of what it means to be human. In other words, I don't know why else I should care about people, uh, really, uh, unless there's a solid fact that we were made to be different than anything else in us. This comes back to what you brought up at the beginning, the difference between the importance of facts or just our perception or preference of values. So let's get into that. Who wants to start? talking about facts facts yeah so jesus um and just in reading the scriptures you start to see some really bold claims about what truth is what reality is um what the process of salvation actually is and so i'll just i'll just read a couple of them um they all pretty much say the same thing but uh the first one that comes to mind is john 14 verse 6 where jesus said to him i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. It's a pretty bold claim for Jesus to make about himself. He doesn't say, I am a way or a good way or the best way or one of many ways. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot come to God unless you come through Jesus. Um, later on in John, in John 17 and verse 3, 
uh, when Jesus is praying to the father right before he's going to be sacrificed, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So that's what eternal life is, knowing God, the only God, and knowing Jesus, the Christ that was sent by Jesus. Uh, later on, after Jesus is killed and resurrected and sends out his apostles, and they start teaching about Jesus, uh, when they're arrested for the first time in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, uh, when they're put on trial and told, stop, stop speaking about Jesus, they say, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And there, there are many other places you can go in the Bible that will say pretty much the same thing. But like, that's a powerful claim. And you can understand why maybe some people might think that can't be <laughs> like there has to be. <laughs> more ways than just one but that's what the bible says and so I want maybe just starting off by saying if you want to accept the bible you can't just take parts of it like the buffet kind of mentality and say i'll take this i'll take that but i'm going to get my things from other places the bible says it's it's jesus or nothing <laughs> um that there's one way so that's you know the fact that jesus and his apostles taught about another point i, I want to make a go ahead scott well, just, just one comment about the claim, this kind of exclusive claim that I think really is offensive to people. Uh, I mean, it's honestly, it's offensive to me. It's saying that Jesus gets to choose the way. Like he's, he's saying, I am what life is about. Um, and that excludes my own ideas. If we reject that and say, no, I like what he says here, and I like what Buddha says here, and I like what Confucius says here, and I'll, I'll kind of come up with my own system, aren't we also making an exclusive claim that I have some kind of understanding that uh, is superior to Jesus's understanding or superior to mm -hmm. um, Muhammad's understanding that, that I know what the whole elephant is? Uh, are you familiar with the five blind men of Hindustan? Um, you know, each one is like, well, this is a spear, or it's a, a leaf or a fan or whatever. Um, we look at that and go, that's ridiculous because we know what the whole elephant looks like. And so the idea that all religions are sort of like the blind men of Indistan, aren't you kind of claiming to see the elephant? So it, it's not exclusivity that's the problem. It's who has the whole view. And, and so Jesus is making a claim. The question really is, is his claim backed up? And that's where we start looking at evidence and more and more facts, I think. Sure. Scott, what were you going to say? I forgot. You <laughs> said <So, laughs> uh, I forgot what it says. Yeah. So, so I don't know, when you start saying that all religions are fundamentally the same, you know, that isn't Islam about being a good person isn't you know Buddhism about being a good person isn't Christianity about being a good person. Uh, if you really follow Islam all the way, and you follow Buddhism all the way, Christianity all the way, they're superficially similar, but they're fundamentally different. Because when you start really noodling into what Jesus says, you can't be a good person and say, "I am the way, I am the truth, and the life." If what he's saying isn't actually true it's a very arrogant sort of thing to say uh unless he's actually the way that you're what that's what i was gonna say um you know if of the three of us and all the people uh listening to the podcast or if you're listening live none of us believe 
that the rest of the world needs to obey one of us and that you know we are the solution to man's problem but i've met people i met a guy one time that seemed to think he was the messiah he was not a good man that's that's not a good man and so jesus's claim if it's true we need to listen to him but if it's false even if there was some good in what he talked teaching that you're the only way that people can get to god that's not a good thing to teach and and with the different religions there are i mean there are some really cool principles in hinduism that have valid if you look and for a lot of people hinduism is more of a philosophy of life than an actual what we think in the western sense of uh a, a theology understanding of god because that doesn't really exist that way in hinduism uh and so if you just look at it, there's some confucius let's go back to confucius confucius said don't do to other people what you wouldn't want them to do to you no the rule yeah uh and uh romans 2 talked about when gentiles by nature do the things of the law you know that's 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 good uh and there's principles in greek philosophy that are good there's principles in hinduism that are good there's statements in the quran that are good but when you, then you start having these claims like you either do when you die you're reincarnated and based on karma your next life will be better or worse if that's true it's true but if it's not true it's not true and in india the untouchables historically and i think there's been some legal changes now but it doesn't mean that that's filtering down to all the villages untouchables have been historically treated absolutely horribly um uh, a landlord can make your wife you know strip and dance nude he can make you eat feces and and they're they're given horrible jobs and everybody accepts that so because under karma you got stuck being an untouchable because of your past life and you're, you're to be punished for well if that's true it's true but if it's not that's a horrible thing uh and so when you start getting it if, if you don't believe any of this really matters then you get to pick and choose like in a box of chocolates i don't want those cream filled ones you know i want the one that's got a pecan or an almond in it you know and the rest i don't care about and if a different box of chocolates same thing i'm going to skip the cream fields and i'm going to find the one with a nut uh but if something's true then that comes into an entirely different category so what are some reasons why somebody should believe that either the book of mormon or the pope or uh muhammad or uh, hinduism or faith in christ what are some reasons why somebody should actually believe one or the other or something yeah i like um paul is not exactly talking about that uh but he kind of makes that point in first corinthians 15. um well I, I like and jesus says something similar in john chapter 5 but G Paul is talking about the resurrection of Jesus in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, and what he says, it, it, he like he gives the option. Uh, he says, "If what we're saying is not true, don't believe it." Um, and so, let me just read this this section in First Corinthians fifteen, verse twelve. 
He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead, which is what was happening in Corinth, apparently. Um, but then Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. And then down in verse 16, he says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Paul himself says, the reason why you believe in Jesus is because he was raised from the dead. Um, and there's evidence, there's proof that he was raised from the dead. Maybe we could talk really quickly about uh, some of that, but that makes all the difference. Um, all of these other religious leaders, they're dead and are still dead. Yeah. Um, but Jesus died and isn't dead anymore. That that's something to think about and consider. Yeah, let's I'm gonna ask you guys to start discussing some of the evidences for the resurrection, but let's just underscore that point that Jonathan just made. Muhammad died, got buried, and he stayed dead. Guatemala Buddha died, was buried, I think, in Tibet, stayed dead. Joseph Smith, while in prison. Uh, some guys from Missouri attacked him and shot him as he jumped out a window and he died. He stayed dead. Each time a pope dies, he stays dead. Uh, then we come to Jesus of Nazareth. And I'll, I'll begin with this and I'll ask you guys to continue. The women from Galilee, what did they do on Friday and Saturday? First, they prepared some appointments uh, to put on the body, kind of like we do, you know, we... We pay somebody to embalm and fix them up and dress them in their clothes and make them look natural. Why? It makes us feel better. But you know what's going to happen as the months go by? They're going to decay. But it's going to make them feel better and it's a custom and they're getting ready to do that. And they rest on the Sabbath and on Sunday morning, they went to the tomb. What did they fully expect to do? Put the spices and anointments on a corpse. And I suggest to you, if they had been able to do what they intended and planned to do, none of us would have ever heard of Jesus of Nazareth. We would have never heard of it. Uh, our dating system in the world would be different. You, wouldn't, you would have never heard of Pontius Pilate unless you were some, you know, person that just happened to do archaic political things. You know, people around would not have heard of. Um, Jesus... They, if he had been dead, it would have been like Judas and Judas mentioned in Acts 5, and it would have petered out. So what are some of the evidences? So there's um, actually four pieces of evidence um, that I really like to talk to people when I'm talking about the resurrection, and I think Jonathan's exactly right, that one of the historical facts, you're talking about value systems that we all sort of think are good and right, but Why? Um, we have to have some kind of factual reasons for that. Yep. Um, and the facts that I think are, are more or less universally understood, even by critics who reject the gospel, um, there are four pieces that you start trying to fill the hole these four, four pieces create. It's kind of a funny way you fill the hole, fill the tomb. Um, you know, how, how do you account for these four pieces of evidence? One is that Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. That is just like a historical fact a lot of people who deny that jesus ever existed or that jesus ever died by roman crucifixion uh, you try to make those claims in any kind of high-standing academic circle 
you're going to get laughed out of the room because it's, it's just factual that Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. That's accepted by even the critics. Number two is the tomb was found empty. And how you account for the tomb is, you know, that's a different piece. Right. Uh, but you gotta, you got to try to understand something about the empty tomb. So he died, and now the tomb's empty. Right. Number three is the disciples believed, whether they actually did or not, but they, they believed, they really believed they saw Jesus after his death. Right. And you can say they really believed it because all of the witnesses are going to die or suffer in some way for what they say they believe is true. And they were in a position to, to say that it was a lie or that it was true. And as First Corinthians 15 points out, it's not just like two or three guys. It's hundreds of people who are claiming that Jesus was raised. And then the, the fourth and final one, uh, the idea that, that even skeptics were converted after Jesus' death. Those four pieces, I think, create this kind of um, this hole that has to be filled with some answer. And the, the answer that seems to make the best sense is that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Scott? Yeah, and I want to just add on to the fourth point that you that you said, Justin, that skeptics were converted. One of the one of the best examples and one of the biggest evidences for me personally is maybe the most famous skeptic that was converted, Saul of Tarsus. Um, and I just want to read a little bit from his life prior to converting to Christianity and a little bit of his life after converting to Christianity. So Acts chapter 26, this is this is actually chronologically after he was converted, but he's recounting his life prior uh, when he's still a Jew, a non-believer, he's not a Christian. He says in Acts 26 verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And you can read a little bit about that in Acts chapter nine and Acts chapter seven and Acts chapter eight, where Paul goes around and he's having people killed, having people thrown in prison. He hates Christianity. He doesn't believe in Jesus Christ at all. He's trying to silence it just like the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin are trying to do in the beginning of Acts. But then near the end of his life, he says this in Philippians chapter three in verse seven, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible i might attain the resurrection of the dead like wow what a difference <laughs> he's like i hated it and i did everything i could to stop it and now i'll gladly give up everything else to have it <laughs> to have jesus what happened <laughs> like that's just that's just total opposite what happened and what paul says what happened was i saw jesus um i thought he was dead i thought he was a fraud i thought he was a liar i thought his apostles were crazy and then I saw him and he was alive and it changed Paul's life forever. Uh, you've got to do something with Saul of Tarsus. Either he was crazy or he actually did see Jesus. Um, and if you just look at the historical person of Saul, he doesn't seem very crazy. He doesn't seem like he lost his mind. He's a very rational, logical thinker. Um, 
but he changed his life to be a disciple of Christ. That's got to count for something. And changed it to the very thing that he hated the most and that he persecuted, putting himself in the position where he would be the one to be persecuted and hated by his fellow countrymen whose view was so important to him. Mm -hmm. There's some other pieces of evidence we could talk through. Um, I mean, to some, the resurrection is the point, and I think it is the foundational stone for all of faith, ultimately, uh, faith in Christ. Um, looking at the natural world, the natural order of the world, you can talk about just the intricacies, and it's, it's fascinating talking to, um, to atheists who just study nature, and if, if gravity were just a little bit less, or just a little bit more, life couldn't exist. If we were a little bit closer to the sun, or a little bit further away, life couldn't exist. If oxygen were a little bit more, or a little bit less, the Earth's, it, just so many things that the fine-tuning of the universe to allow life to exist, um, it all points to design. Um, now, that doesn't get you all the way to Jesus, but uh, those, those are some facts that you've got to, to wrestle with and try to, like, it points to purpose. Design always points to purpose. If something has a design, it meant that it was designed by someone for a particular reason, and what that particular reason is, is outside myself. It's whoever designed me gets to say what I'm for, which kind of takes it away from the person who says, I get to pick and choose what a happy life looks like. If you were made for somebody else's purpose, then they get to decide what your good life looks like. Um, so those, those are some other kinds of facts that I think we have to wrestle with when it comes to understanding why we're here and what we're for. Go ahead, John. Oh, if you were going to say something, I had a kind of different direction I wanted to go for a second. So if you're going to say something related, go ahead. I was going to, I was going to pose a question. I'll go ahead and pose it. You guys be thinking about it, then come, we'll, you go to your comment, then we'll come back to my question. I want to play devil's advocate for a minute and throw out a couple of arguments. Uh, one would go back to the third point that Justin pointed out, the disciples believed this. And when an unbeliever says, well, you know, jihadist terrorists they also believe and are willing to die you know when they when they touch off that suicide vest they are willing to die because they believe they're going to get 72 virgins so we'll come back to that in just a second but go ahead john yeah so those are we've been talking about some facts that maybe surround the idea of of why we can back up why jesus's claims are backed up why he actually is who he says he is he is that one way but I want to maybe kind of pivot and talk about it from a different direction. Why is what he says true? Like, why is Jesus the only way? Why, why couldn't there be another name by which we could be saved, given under, under heaven? Uh, like, like, why is that so? And I have one uh, that, that comes to my mind, but maybe there are some other things that come to your all's mind. It seems like that the Hebrew writer kind of addresses this topic a lot in his writings. In Hebrews chapter 2 uh, and verse 14, 
Uh, he says, since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he, he himself also partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in the servants of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when he is uh, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And there's a continuation of that kind of idea of him being our high priest in Hebrews chapter four, where in chapter four, verse 14, it says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Um, Jesus is specially and uniquely qualified to be the path to God, to eternal life, to salvation, because he lived as a man in this life and didn't sin. Um, and no one else has ever done that. Um, and maybe that makes us kind of take a few steps back and maybe we have to talk about, well, why does that matter? <laughs> why couldn't a sinner <laughs> be an advocate, be a propitiation? Um, but that's, that's at least the first thing that comes to my mind. I don't know if you guys have other thoughts about like, why is Jesus, why does he have to be the only way? Number one, he's without sin. He's perfect. And so he can, he's the only one that can. Of course, yeah. I'll play devil's advocate again. Um, how do you know he was perfect? Yeah, and it, it gets oh. back to your question, I think, about um, the jihadists and terrorism, to be quite honest, um, because the eyewitnesses claimed he was perfect. Uh, I mean, there were other answers to that question, but these these men are suffering and dying, and all they'd have to say is, nah, it was just a story, we're making it up, and it's not really true, and they wouldn't have to die. They're, they're in a unique position to, to claim that this is, this is really true. Uh, now, just because they die for it doesn't make it true. They're saying they believe it. Uh, the jihadist today, he's not in a position to say whether it's true or a lie. But the apostles were in a position to say, no, this really is true. I walked with him. I lived with him. You know, I slept where he slept. I ate what he ate. You know, we, just, we went through him, and we didn't see anything sinful this man does all things well and they they went to their grave claiming that was the true story um that, that's a i don't know you can't just sweep that sort of evidence aside and it's the key thing between being an eyewitness and believing something because the jihadist being waterboarded and keeps coming up and and still holds to his beliefs and he needs to kill all the infidels um he believes it but he doesn't believe that he went to paradise and was introduced to his 72 virgins he believes it because somebody else said it and without adequate reason he has believed it that is exactly opposite of what peter and paul are saying so, for example, let's just read a statement from Peter as he's talking to Cornelius. Um, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They put him to death, hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear 
not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Uh, today, it's, it's popular for people to use the word witness in an evangelical sense, like, you know, well, I witnessed to this guy over here, and I witnessed that in a court of law, I don't get called on as a witness because they're interested in how I feel about the accused, and whether or not he's guilty. You're a witness, and this is entirely different. The jihadist is willing to die for what he believes, but not it's not something he saw. Peter is willing to die for something he saw. Yeah, they're in a position, uh, the apostles are in a position to know whether it was a lie or not. Uh, and so it's, it's a markedly different kind of testimony. And Romans 1 it, says Jesus was declared to be the son of God by the resurrection of the dead. There's an interesting book written years ago by an Israeli diplomat and historian uh, who is not a Christian, doesn't believe Jesus is the Christ, but he believes that based on the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And he says that seems to be the historical fact that changed all these people, uh, but he doesn't think that that means Jesus was the Messiah. Well, yeah, yes. You know, when a man says and he's going to rise from the dead, and he does, he's, he's kind of backed it up. Uh, and so that's why if, if, if God sends somebody into the world to give us a message and proves who it is by the resurrection of the dead, then other people's claims and other people's feelings are suddenly irrelevant. Yeah, it's kind of like the Mark II argument, right? Which is easier to say, yeah. rise, pick up your bed and walk and your sins are forgiven. Which is easier to say, I'm the Messiah and I'm sent from God, like lots of people have. Or to say, on the third day, I'll be raised from the dead. Well, that takes some proof. And all of the evidence points to this, this circumstantial whole. You've got to fill it with something. And it looks to me like the, the best answer to all of those points of discussion is the resurrection from the dead. There's another um, line of reasoning that I, I think is helpful because what we've been talking about here are all intellectual arguments, the rational, logical arguments. Um, I, I do think that the Bible doesn't just appeal to us. The gospel doesn't just appeal to people intellectually. Um, I remember walking through the same kind of factual stuff with uh, a friend of mine who had lost faith in Christ and thought there's no evidence for the resurrection. And we walked through all that and we got done. He said, look, I don't have an answer for you. I, I think I think resurrection makes sense, but I still just can't bring myself to faith. His was an emotional kind of disbelief. In John 18, when Jesus is standing before Pilate, uh, he, he says to Pilate, I have come into the world. This is John 18, 37. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says, what is truth? And seems to dismiss the whole conversation and walks away. I don't know what's going on inside Pilate in that moment, what he, what he thought of truth, what he thought of the exclusive claim Jesus is making. But Jesus is saying that honest, sincere people 
uh, if they if they really love truth, when they hear my teaching, when they watch me live, they're going to come to know me and through me have eternal life. It's a bold claim. But I do think that people, when they're introduced to the real Jesus in the Gospels, uh, they're going to have to do something with who he, who he is. Not just his claims, but the claims that are backed up with the kind of and the quality of life he lives. Dan? Yeah, th- this was one of the ideas when you said not just intellectual or facts or, or, or reasoned out arguments. I think that those are valuable, but they're, not, they're never going to be enough. Um, uh, wh- what I think is really helpful is when, you, when somebody who has no cares for or against Jesus, um, and, and I think it's possible even with someone who is actively interested in avoiding Jesus. I don't, I don't want to know. I don't, uh, this does not appeal to me. If, if people take the time to, to read the sermons and the messages of Jesus, sometimes he just has some quick little lines, and those can be clever or, or neat, parables sometimes. But when you read the longer passages, and in particular, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, what I think is really compelling about the Sermon on the Mount is that while the Sermon on the Mount is doubtlessly full of uh, statements that people will not like, it was it. I don't think everyone in the audience liked everything Jesus had to say in the Sermon on the Mount when he said it, and he didn't say it to anger people. Uh, it has that effect today because it speaks to not only do I have to keep from physically murdering somebody, but I need to control my own anger and control my emotions and my feelings and what's in my heart, because that is murder as well. Uh, so it it speaks things that we may not like to hear, but the truth found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I think is universal. Not everyone's even going to agree with the laws, but I think they are universally understood as, well, I don't have to do that, but I have to admit that that's a good idea, or I have to admit that this would make a good society, or there's something about um, many of these these open sermons and these longer passages from Jesus where uh, you cannot but uh, fall in love with the message and the truth that is there, the big capital T truth, even if you want to argue about a couple points. I think it shows itself to be at uh, the capital T truth. I think Scott, you had your hand up. And that brings up another thing about Jesus and his claims, and it has to do with sin, uh, because there are some really good principles in some of the Hindu writings and stuff. But you know what? Uh, most people in India have violated those principles. And there's some good principles in the Quran that Muslims have violated. And there are some great principles in the Torah that Jews have violated. And there are beautiful things in the Sermon on the Mount that all four of us have violated. Amen. And the Quran says in uh, Surah, I can't remember, maybe 72, I don't remember for sure the reference. It says that Jesus was the Christ, was born of a virgin that he healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed lepers, but they don't believe that he died for anybody's sins. And if indeed, as Paul, who says Jesus appeared to him 
and changed his life entirely based on what he saw and caused him to believe what he wanted to not believe after Jesus appeared to him. He said the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to all who will believe, both Jew and Gentile. Skip down two verses, because the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. In chapter three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the way for redemption is by the free gift of grace in Jesus Christ to those who will believe. And that's, that's, a, big, that's a huge difference. Jonathan, I think you had a comment and then close us out. Um, yeah, what we were talking about with just looking at the life of Christ and that being a way of kind of bringing us to, to, um, to the truth of Jesus. I think Paul kind of talks about that a little bit as well in 2 Corinthians 3, um, when he's talking about those that have their hearts veiled to the gospel. Um, and he's talking specifically to like some of the Jews that have their hearts veiled, that they're trusting in the law of Moses. But he says in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 3, their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And I think that's exactly the point that we were making. Like if you just sit down and, and listen to Jesus and actually hear him, you still might be able to try to resist him. And people did in the first century as well. Think about the, the Pharisees that saw some of the miracles that he did, and they still rejected right. him. Um, the Pharisees that arrested Peter and John in right. Acts chapter three said, they did something really amazing. They healed this lame man, but we still don't want to listen to them. <laughs> um, it, you can still make excuses, but like what Justin said, you've got to do something with Jesus's teaching, with the person of Jesus, with who he is. Um, and if you ever want to come to a knowledge of the truth and freedom, it's got to start with learning who he actually is. I've, I've met some people and talked with some people that reject Jesus and they don't know anything about him. Um, they've never read the Bible. They've never read anything about who he is. Uh, they just don't want to listen to him. Why not just listen and, and give it a chance and see? Um, you might be surprised by what you find uh, about who he actually is. Go ahead, Justin. Just one thing, I know we, we're short on time here, but if I could just bring us back around to the way we started this whole conversation. You've addressed a lot of good talking points, and I hope that everyone who's listening to this uh, conversation, uh, there'll, there'll be helpful ideas that you can use in your discussions with people. But again, when I, when I was talking with these people, it wasn't that what they were saying in, in Egypt and in Jordan, these two different people, um, it wasn't what they were saying that was so unusual to me. I've heard it before, but it was just that it was unexpected. You know, I, I didn't expect to hear these same conversations from these people. You know, one was a Muslim. I didn't expect her to want to go and light candles at a Greek Orthodox church. When we're talking with people, I hope that we'll remember that we're talking with individuals. Um, you know, Jesus with the woman at the well in Sychar in John 4, he's not just talking to a Samaritan. He's talking to a woman, and she has her own history, her own ideas, her own concerns. And, and I want to make sure that I take the time to, to engage with people the way Jesus engaged with her, uh, listening, answering the questions that they have, um, you know, pointing them to the facts about Jesus and, and the answers that Jesus offers. Uh, we need to treat each 
encounter with people uh, the way that, that Jesus you know, treats us and the way that he loves us and wants to save each person. Uh, we're not fighting ideas only. We're, we're trying to, to save souls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Well, thank you guys for your discussion uh, on that. It's a really important topic for us to discuss and really prevalent idea in the world. Um, and so we need to be able to uh, find the truth, know the truth. Jesus said that if you know his truth, the truth will make you free. Um, and so, uh, so it's good for us to talk about that. If anyone in our audience has more questions about that, um, who Jesus is, maybe why some of those claims are true or anything related to what we discussed today, you can reach out to us, BibleQuest.tv, and we'd be happy to talk with you more about those things. Uh, or if you have another topic that you'd like us to discuss on our shows, you can go to our website as well and let us know about that. We can talk about that in our future episodes. But that's all that we have for this week. And so we'll plan on seeing everyone next week, Lord willing.